All right, everybody, super exciting news. We have got a brand new service that we're offering right in-house here at Cedar Creek Capital, which is our architectural services. We have a in-house architect now who is specifically here to help you build and design your facilities in the most efficient way. Follow the link below in the show notes, get in touch with us, and our in-house architect can start working with you today. Welcome everybody to the Self Storage Income Podcast. And today's podcast is a doozy. And I mean that. We have so much data and so much good information, things that we have been working on, and we are literally opening up the book to talk about deals that we're closing now. And this is a follow-up that we haven't even released yet. So this is being released out on Twitter, YouTube, obviously this podcast, and our newsletter, all this data and information um, I think this week. So if you are listening to the podcast, we will be going over and talking briefly on some graphs, things like that. You don't need to see it for the podcast, but if you would like to see more of it, you can jump onto YouTube here and see the information we're talking about. You can also sign up for the newsletter because that's all going to be in there. Uh, so we do want to preface this where we're, we're, we're going to cover a lot and talk about and explain how these conditions help you and how you can find deals of a lifetime today, which um, we are. We're getting deals that we haven't seen since we were originally buying back in, uh, you know, 2015, 10 to 15. Now, there's not lots of them, obviously. And in some places, they're trading at super high amounts. And I think that's part of the thing today is a lot of people are confused because they're like, okay, well, I saw that this deal traded a really high amount, but then other people are finding these great deals. So what are the forces that make these amazing opportunities and how do you know where to find them? Now, we have to work 10 times as hard to find a good deal, mm -hmm. um, but the deals that we are finding are good deals and have really good upside. So we're gonna dive into a whole lot of this today. Um, and once again, please, everybody, you can follow the links below. Um, and we want to support all of this so you guys can see all the data and information. Uh, one of the big reasons that we're doing the newsletter now is to get this stuff in writing and our research and writing. Um, I've been working really hard to try to put our back end machine as far as all the people, um, our companies that we all have, our research and data to the front of your screen. Meaning, how do we get this stuff in front of you in a, a good, meaningful way? So if you guys like this, please make sure you leave us a review, like, follow, all that kind of stuff, because this takes a lot of work to put together and we're trying to be totally transparent. Um, and I'm excited about it. This is gonna be an amazing podcast. It really will be. Um, excited to dive into it. Uh, I, I would like to hear and have you recap uh, your amazing tweet that you sent out a couple of years ago to kind of set the stage here because um, it didn't bug anybody at all at that point in time. Yeah. Um, it didn't go viral or anything. No, um, not at all. People were not, <laughs> so, not, not at all. Like, yeah. what are you talking yeah, about? Um, yeah, exactly right. So yeah. let's kick it off but there, man. We can kick it off there. So we, I put out a bunch of our thoughts and some of our research and everything back in uh, um, 2021. Uh, which illustrated how we said self-storage is in a bubble that will pop and come down. I'll explain what all of those things mean, and you can actually see the bubble that we're talking about now today. 
At the time, this was a outrageously contrarian view that even if people said, oh, it's going to come down or it's going to pull back on, there was really no supporting data or argument. And at first, when I put it out and we got the reaction that we did um, and it went viral, a lot of people were like, what's going on here? This is the first this is the first um, bearish take air quotations. And I'll, I'll get into talking about this because people think, oh, it's either good or bad. And that's not true. Uh, but bearish take that's been outlined that we've ever seen. In fact, I started consulting with very large financial institutions and investment banks. We're talking tens of billions of dollars that were allocated in investing because they hadn't seen that data. I was shocked by that. And what I realized was what I thought was hubris that when you looked around and saw what was going on, I thought it was just utter hubris. And when you went online, saw everybody talking about storage and it was, it was this crazy weird scenario. The buzz dude. It was the buzz. And I was like, and as those listening to the podcast knew, I'm like, you know, we were obviously talking about this and we changed a whole lot internally. We made a lot of decisions, so we want to talk about it. But I was, I, I thought, like, why, why is there this outlook? And what I realized after the tweet and everything was people just didn't know, right? They, they didn't see what we thought was clear and normal. And as I did research, one of the reasons that was driving this was over 70% of all funds and syndications in self-storage came after 2016. And that really explains that landscape, mm -hmm. right? So for us that had been in storage since the early 2000s, went through the Great Recession, and for some of these other really big operators and players that had been in the industry for a long time, which are uh, not a lot of them, um, and none of them that are online and talking about storage at all. So there was nobody putting out paperwork. So it, we saw it very, very differently. And I... I was kind of shocked by it. So what what we outlined in this was that essentially self-storage, and we're going to make this simple, everybody, so you can understand that you'll take it. Let's break it down really simply. Every single industry goes through th three main phases as I see it. You have youth, adolescent, and adulthood. Okay, Youth for storage was prior to 2008. There was no institutional backing. There was no infrastructure. There was no third parties to support the industry. And um, so it was mom and pops, individual. After 2008, self-storage became an adolescent. And this really showed a lot because like all adolescents, it was a wild party of, you know, hubris and just emotion that everybody was winning. Everybody was a rock star. Nothing could touch him. Nothing could hurt him. Right. It was absolutely atypical um, adolescent stage for the industry because of the forces that were driving it, which I'll get into it. And now we're in a phase that it's a maturing industry. Okay, so we are now leaving the adolescent phase. Now, that's a rude awakening for a lot of people that knew nothing outside the adolescent phase. And for a lot of people, you may go, okay, AJ, you're talking like that people are going bankrupt and things like that. It's not what I'm talking about. First of all, we'll go into the, the thing. Now, yes, there are people going bankrupt. We talk to those people, developers that are in trouble, everything else. Now, by the way, we're, we're kind of midway here. I'm not saying there's an apocalypse. I'm not saying we're going to fail. I'm not saying any of those things. 
But when you look at what some people think are small changes, which I financially outline and actually show representation of these changes, and when you're talking about investing and financing, these are huge changes. The change of, of the industry going from, first of all, easy debt to, and, uh, and everybody needs to use it, massive demand, low cap rates, and rising rates at you know, 15, 20 plus percent to the opposite, drop in occupancy, uh, drop in demand, rates dropping like rocks, and then you still have new starts coming out. Your core base is frozen as far as customers go. Um, little things when you add up, which all added up, can be astronomically devastating. So, um, and we're dealing with these people here. That's how we know. And this is how we, we work with it. And we fill it on our own. So one of the things that we, just as a representative, so everybody knows and, and understands, I'm going to walk through just two assumptions. 2021 versus 2023. We took the markets, the assumptions, put them in, and you can see a value difference. So at the end of the day, if you had a, um, if you had in 2021, 60,000 square feet with 600 units at an occupancy rate of 95%, expense ratio 35%, um, taking the same metrics and applying it to 2023. Now, the in 2021, your occupancy at 95%, a cap rate four, interest rates are three, and you had $190 rates. In 2023, your occupancy is more like 85%, your um, cap rate is six, your interest rate is seven, and rates are 140. These are actually taken out. These are not made up. We're actually looking at the market and what that means. In 2021, you had a gross revenue potential of 1.368 million. In 2023, you have a gross revenue, uh, a gross potential of 1 million. Uh, your vacancy loss in 2021 is 68,000. It's 151,000 in 2023. Now, once again, a lot of people may be thinking, okay, that's not terrible, but gross income is 1.3 in 2021 and gross income is 856,000 in 2023. Now, first of all, we'll get into the scenarios and how it works. It, it is not simple like this, but this represents the example of the change in the environment, meaning that not all rates drop to that, right? So if you had a rate, an in-place rate of 190 bucks in 2021, in 2023, your in-place rate didn't go to 140, okay? Right? Now, your new people coming in go to 140. I get that. I understand that. Nobody needs to comment. Like, we understand that. What we're showing, though, is the representation of the environment and the swing here in financials and what this looks like. When you pull that out, those two scenarios and at that asset in 2021 conditions value at 21 million. In 2023, that value is 9 million. Now, you may be saying that's not true. That's not. No, actually, we see this. We, we have an asset that we actually had offers at 10 million more a year ago than we could get today. So, um, now, do I think that asset's failing? No, and we'll get into all of this. But when we talk about a bubble bursting, it's fair to say that $10 million valuation swing on an asset that's worth 35 million is a bubble bursting, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
we're not worried because how we have things set up and we do, and there's easy ways that everybody can avoid getting caught in this, that in traps and you can survive. We're gonna talk about all of that, it's not important. For most people, like even us, it's like, yeah, we just wake up, keep doing our thing because we don't care about some of these things. And in fact, we're taking advantage of them and being in a long time. Now, there's a lot of other people that are not in a position where they can do that. Meaning that they have a refinance, they had to sell these valuations and these metrics are really devastating. De developers, we have talked to so many developers right now that are literally going bankrupt. Um, and then we have people that are refinancing who are in, in trouble, right? All of these things are avoidable, by the way. None of this is meant to scare you, but it is representative. Some people that say, I don't see bankruptcies at mass, right? That means that there was no storage bubble. Guys, we're not talking about 2008 here, but it, it's very clear the bubble and it's very clear that it burst, like in our first chart that we have at the front. You can see the actual bubble represented in rates, okay? So the rates went from you know a, a, a baseline in 2018, 19, 20, and even 17 of 130 bucks uh, to 140, 40 bucks to by 21 and 2022, it was basically at 200. That has returned to 140 bucks in seven months. That's actually what's happening today. Okay? It's crazy to see that. It's crazy, yeah. right? Now, that doesn't mean in-place rates changed. That doesn't mean that this is a bad investment environment. In fact, it's opposite. We've been waiting for this. Mm -hmm. In fact, what we did was in 20... 21, we said, all right, here's the conditions. We had the data supported everything. We knew exactly what was going to cause the bubble to burst. We didn't know if it was going to happen though. I'm not saying we were predicting the future, but we knew the conditions that arrived. And we said, okay, this is overdone. The risk of it happening, we believed was astronomical, way higher than it not happening. So what we did is we refinanced a huge segment of our portfolio, basically all of it and pushed all um, our, our, uh, loan dates out to like 2023, or excuse me, 2030. 30, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, then we um, stacked up on cash because we wanted to be able to buy. And we were looking for the main triggers that would get us into problems during these swings. We Once again, we'd been through these, right? We knew how this worked. We didn't lose anything in 2008, never lost a property, never went bankrupt, everything else. Were we being too conservative? Maybe because we actually had to pay a higher interest rate to achieve this. Now, at the time, people are like, what are you doing? You can get a 3% rate interest rate today, but because you're doing this, you're taking a 4.5% interest rate. So you were locking it in, banks, because right? we were locking in for so yeah, much longer. Yeah. So they're like, what are you doing? And we're like, we'll pay more to have insurance and, and things going on. That yeah, ended up being a great sure. decision for us, right? And basically we're looking at that risk and what we could take and not. Our, our philosophy is that we need, we cannot control the market, the conditions that are going on, we can't control. So we need to have our trigger points, our liabilities, things, they, we need to have time. So time is our hedge against market fluctuations. And so that's simply what we were doing. And then cash to take advantage of today which we're gonna get into and talk about actual deals we're doing, uh, which are very, very exciting. Now, all right, moving on to that. 
what we described was in 2021, this thing that was happening. And now that it's happened, we are looking at it and the information we're putting out is it's it's not over. We're in the middle of it. So what we're now showing and supporting is where we're at today, what it means moving forward and how you can all take what is once in a lifetime or could be opportunities, um, which which we are getting. Right. And it's I'm so excited about it, everybody, because this literally anybody that's been in this game for the last five years knows it was tough. There have been some rough, uh, rough waters. Yes. <laughs> you are buying things at astronomical prices. Huge competition. Huge competition. Everything's yeah. baked in. And for me, I, I care less about buying lots, as in I want to buy great value-add deals that have huge upside potential that are safe investments, right? That That's our model. And in conditions like the last three years, that got really hard. Now, we were finding them. And we were able to close on them because of certain um, things that we'd put into place, which allowed us to execute off-market deals, move fast, things like that. But I know for most people, most people that we're talking about, so the people in my inner circle, as we were working with them, teaching them the ones that had um, actual deals and the ones that didn't, we, we, we were hearing it from everybody was so frustrated. It's not that they couldn't even find deals. It's just you went to buy a deal and it just went so far over asking price. It went... In, you know, 60 day close, it went and starting out in these conditions or even scaling in these conditions can be rough. Why? Because the market has put an advantage on capital. And that means that whoever has the most capital and the ease of capital and things wins. Why? Because the interest rate to cap rate spread, which um, we can talk about that. Now, times like this, though, that doesn't work. And those people leave the market. So we've seen a huge drop and competition and even owners even wanting to go to the market which are deals that we have now um aren't so what we did is we to set up to protect us during that now where uh where we're at first of all quick snapshot on how we went from a adolescent to a maturing industry now anybody that knows prior to covid i thought we had a long time for it to become a maturing industry like, it's so funny to yeah. like, think back to how how we thought of, I mean, even consolidation, even even just five years ago, yeah. it's like, tw what was it, like 20 years? Yeah, it was Some like crazy. 10, 15, 20 years. <laughs> like it uh, was, and what COVID did is it was like an accelerator for all of these things. And that's what happens when $4 trillion get dumped into the economy. It changes a lot quickly at speeds and rates that just couldn't have. One of the main reasons is, is because now sellers that weren't sellers are now sellers. Mm -hmm. Money coming into infrastructure to the industry, as far as, as actual um, third-party servicing companies, advancing technologies, it just poured in. Mm -hmm. And it, it literally took our industry, I, I mean, probably five years into the future in like a year. And very interesting what happened. But when you look back, this change is very clear, the change from it becoming an adolescent. That change happened after 2008. We saw it begin really about 2014. And you can see this in like development starts, things like that, where money poured in. Storage hadn't been through a development cycle. 
like all the other industries had. So the major industries, uh, real estate industries, most of them went through massive development cycles in the 90s that coalesced and peaked out in the early 2000s. And then they went into a whole nother phase of their life cycle in 2008. Some of those was retirement, right? Retail. It's not dead, but it's in retirement, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, some of those assets, it, it was like the last gasp of air and they moved on. Others shifted in another way self-storage and industrial being one of them. They moved out. Money poured in. You have starts that went from 2003, 4, 5 of, you know, at, we were peaking out like $1.3 billion a, in, in a year of development to by 2017, we were hitting $5 billion a year, like every year. So I, I mean, the increase was so astronomical on product coming out to the market and who was putting the kind the kind of product that was coming out, it was now backed. All of these companies were coming in and starting out. Um, this adolescent phase was wild, right? And returns were supported, everybody, by the intrinsic and extrinsic value. All right, now we're moving on to finding deals and what you need and how to look at this and how to do it. Now, first of all, everybody, you know, those that are first time listener to the podcast or the YouTube, uh, you know, I talk a lot about intrinsic and extrinsic value. This is so important today. It was a leading factor through 2008 on when we were buying, what businesses we were selling and assets we were buying. At the end of the day, intrinsic value is uh, revenue focused, meaning it is all concentrated on the individual productions of the asset. That's it. Okay. We're not talking about, um, uh, uh, um, like what it's trading at, nothing like that. That's extrinsic value. Extrinsic value is price. Price does not equal value, okay? Now, those two things together are what actually bring in what you would probably classify as value. Now, we focus almost solely on intrinsic value. We only care about the price in the way that it would affect intrinsic value. And when we look at extrinsic value, that is what the vast majority of all investors focus on. So if the asset, like I was explaining, said, oh, it was worth 35 million one year, it's worth 25 or 21 million today, they're like, that failed. Like to me, no, that has nothing to do with how much money we're taking in, what the net income is, right? Because we know that extrinsic value is forced or is changed by extrinsic inputs. Capital markets, investor demand, interest rates, there's all sorts of things that go that have nothing to do with the asset into the extrinsic value. That's why I call it extrinsic, extrinsic inputs. Intrinsic is different. Its value is predicated on rising the production of the asset. So the more revenue, the more net income that it can make year after year after year. A lot of people don't understand that those two things diverge, meaning that assets actually can make more money, but then it's air quotations value drop. Dude, uh, that's what I love about this one graph that you put in here that really depicts price versus cap rate. Yes. It kind of shows that, that exact relationship. Yes. And it's when you look at what's going on 
in today's market, you have a confluence of those two things. You all of a sudden have cap rates that are rising. So prices are going down, even on assets that are actually netting more income. Mm -hmm. Theoretically speaking, um, commercial real estate is, is valued, air quotation marks, by its net income, right? It's an investment. That's what makes it valuable. But um, at times, you know, the cap rate is the expression of, of that value. And uh, there's weird markets that you get in where those things aren't correlated. Uh, we're in one. Uh, this is what happened after 2008. Uh, there was a total divergent of what we thought were core valuation inputs, like replacement cost, um, current income versus price, and production ability and future uh, revenue potential and all these things. It just didn't make sense, right? Um, and that's because the market, the extrinsic market had been destroyed. Well, today we're in the same place due to interest rates, meaning the cost of money was driven up so high. So everyone, a cap rate, which is an expression of value, which is really just an expression on a return. If I have a facility that's a million dollars, I bought it for a million dollars, it makes a hundred thousand, that's a 10 cap. That doesn't include, because it's a 10% return, that doesn't include other things. And I'm trying to keep this very simple because it doesn't include things like debt. Now. When you think if you if you're an operator and you have a f facility that makes a hundred thousand dollars and you are selling it for a five cap, okay, um, and when you look at that, you're like, my facility is worth two million dollars, but then the debt markets change, so nobody will buy it. You're in a smaller market, and all of a sudden, eight months later, you want to sell, and people are saying, I'll pay you a million or one point five and your income didn't change at all. That's rough to grasp, right? To digest yeah. that, hold on here. My asset didn't go down, but you're saying it lost half or 30% of its value, even though it may have made more. Uh, so we're in one of those times today. Now, when you look at those drivers up until now, self-storage had been blessed with both drivers meaning that intrinsic value was rising rapidly as well as extrinsic. Why? Because self-storage had a long way on that extrinsic value could go. If you uh, look at those cap rates, the cap rates um, prior to this cycle, you know, we're talking about above six, way above six. Like you're, you're talking about prior to 2006 above an eight cap. Well, after 2014, after 2014, it dropped below an eight cap. Then it went, it just kept going down. National average hit five caps, right? Cap rates that had never been seen before in storage. So what you had is rising income. So you had rise, rising customer demand due to a whole bunch of things, which was mainly dri driven to the constrained demand and the house uh, of supply and then the housing market. So you had that driving revenue and rate growth at the same time, because everybody else had been burned from other asset classes and they wanted somewhere to put their money and self-storage was the lowest defaulting asset class. And now you had infrastructure like third-party management and institutional money, investor demand exploded. These two things combined 
made it a lot of people really, really wealthy. Um, even if they did nothing. This is a this is a cycle that performance didn't even matter. So you can either increase it intrinsically or extrinsically. The extrinsic demand was so big that somebody that bought a facility at an eight cap all of a sudden doubled its value because it was worth a four cap and didn't do anything. It never even changed. It may not even make more money. In fact, it may have been worse off. So then all of a sudden, this, this fuels this idea that this is recession proof. This can't lose. Everybody wanted to get in and you're seeing it today. Everybody's trying to get in on self-storage, right? So they're all coming now to the party after this huge wave because of past returns, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that, but we just need to understand it. Now, as people are coming in, there's infrastructure and everything built. We had COVID that it kind of like spiked up there and then it popped, came back down. So what does that now mean for um, moving forward and how can you take advantage of this moment? When you guys are looking at property management software for your storage facilities, there's a ton of options out there, but no other option compares to Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is going to be your one-stop shop solution that has an amazing amount of tools that you can deploy at your fingertips to maximize the value of your facility, to operate it more efficiently, more effectively. They have an open API where you can back in almost anything you want. You own your data, and it's just an incredible solution. I can't say enough good things about these guys. Link is in the show notes. Be sure to check Check out Tenant Inc. Moving forward, that means a couple things. Performance will not be universal. Performance will matter. And the extrinsic value will no longer be a universal thing. Meaning that over the last five years, whether you were in Pasigula, Mississippi, or you were in freaking LA, you were getting a four cap for your facility. That is a complete inefficiency of the market. The value, extrinsic value of that asset should be dependent on things like location, uh, future earning potential, support, safety. We just saw craziness for a long time. That made people think that small teeny markets were the same as those big markets. And that I had a large investor, someone that had raised hundreds of millions of dollars tell me and three other storage investors, which they all had a billion dollar plus portfolio. I was the little guy by far. And they who had been in the industry for three years said, told us the thing that you old guys don't understand, I kid you not, um, <laughs> is that m these cap rates in these markets are never going to go back up. That was their investment thesis. And it was so crazy to hear it was even crazier to realize that this individual had received over $200 million in investment capital and was buying four, uh, four cap in markets that no nobody would have ever logically done this or it, that was a total market inefficiency, right? And that was one of the main points that I looked and said, as once they walked away, I turned and said, are you guys buying? And they're like, nope. And they looked at me and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, we pulled in a ton of cash. And they were like, us too. And it was, all right, that, 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 was, the, that was the pop, that was the peak, right? 
Now, as you get in, even today, because we are not we're not through this. Now, I don't I'm not saying everybody once again that things are going to get way worse, but the contrast in just three years is astronomical. That's the bubble effect. Luckily for all of us, self storage is really resilient, really really resilient. Remember my margin of stupidity. It's one of the reasons I like storage. I can be an idiot, right? And as long as I get a few things right, I'll still be successful. That's why I think everybody should get into it. But now you have lots of people that are still diving in. Why? Because in COVID, you had an exasperation where all of a sudden apartments were in trouble, hotels were in trouble, and everybody wanted in on, on this performance. So people literally said, we're out of apartments. We're out of this asset class. And they're all trying to get into storage right now today. Um, but their view of the future, I think, is a little skewed and it's purely looking at the past. The people that will win in the future are people that have a very good strategy thesis, but can execute and operate. And you have to understand there are difference between small and big markets. Now, today, the great thing about it is, is we're getting deals that just weren't around. So let's walk into opportunities that we're finding today. It's one of the major reasons that we just launched our fund too, which is an opportunistic fund. We're literally buying facilities that were like, this is crazy, we're getting it. We we just bought a brand new built facility, or excuse me, we're under contract for fund two with a brand new built facility, over 50% already occupied at under replacement cost. It's 75 bucks a square foot. Now, assets in that market, even today, there's an asset that is not new and it is not even a mile away. We're even on a better street that is trying to sell for 130. In that market, over the last three years, nothing has sold at that level, right? And anything of quality was like 150, 200 bucks, right? So when you look at this, we're going, we're getting, this couldn't have happened in the last two years because they didn't even need to have any occupancy. They could have thrown it out and they would have sold it for 150 bucks a square foot. But now they're left with limited options. They don't want to go to the market because so many deals are falling on it under contract. They It's confusing. So they're like, hey, I want to sell this, move on. I can make a profit predicated on what I'm doing. We're coming in, make it easy, easy for them. Now we've had this with as of right now in the fund, which is funny because we've already seeded it, there's already assets in it. We have two expansion opportunities, properties that were 30, 40% under market rates. We can expand on it and you can't even build there. We have another property that once again, like CMU walls just built, like we're, we've got it under replacement cost, um, off market deals, all of them. So we have currently four or five assets in there. All of these assets are assets that I look back and like, these are back to like what we were doing after the Great Recession in 2012, 13, and 14. Now, you also have to remember though, during those times, there wasn't a lot of buying opportunities. A lot of people are like, yeah, I wish I could go back then and I just buy everybody. But if you did go back then, we were the only people that were buying. There was literally nobody else bidding on the facilities we were trying to buy. Um, Nobody was, they couldn't. And two, everyone, even including us, expected the market to not just go straight up. We thought eventually it would, but we didn't expect it to be a quick turnaround. We, we expected, okay, we may even be over, over our skis a little here or something like that, but we knew the long-term gameplay. Um, and uh, we're seeing things more like that. Now, nothing near even close to that. But what that means is during that time, we didn't have a lot of buying opportunities. 
they just didn't exist. Like we, we would see a handful of deals a year, right? All our stuff was coming from off market that we were trying to do. We'd get some directly sent to us because people knew we were buyers. Um, but that is way more reminiscent of today. We're finding more off market deals. We're seeing deals directly sent to us. They don't want to take it to the market or whatnot, but there's just not a lot of deals out there. Now, a lot of people think, oh, that means it's a bad time. That means that's actually a great thing, right? You are able to negotiate things. We now have longer close period. We're On two of our deals, we have seller financing. And one of the deals in the fund is 5% first year, 4% second, 3% interest rate year, th year three and fixed, non-recourse. We, we didn't even have to put the full 30% down. Like, I mean, and that's the stuff, once again, that was back in 2014, 15. After 2016, that didn't happen anymore because everybody knew they could trade it for a premium. This is amazing opportunity. Now, it's 10 times harder to get deals today than it was three years ago. Why? Because everybody was selling. The transaction value, uh, volume was off the charts. You're talking like two, three times historicals. The reason being is people could sell for so much and they knew somebody would buy it. What that means, just like in 2010 to 2016, sellers that were selling actually needed to sell. So for me, I'm like, this is a much healthier market. Meaning sellers aren't selling because they go, you're going to pay me such a stupid amount. I'm going to sell it to you. And they're not just going to market either. And they're not just going to market. They actually want to close. Yeah. They don't want to play the games. Right. No, you get this, these amazing opportunities like what you just outlined for seller financing, creative financing, whatever that looks like getting these off-market deals, being able to get great deals below replacement cost, just because of that individual needing to sell, like you said. And um, it just, it, like, it creates that amazing atmosphere, like what we used to experience before all the, the craziness. And one of the things that we do awesome. to take advantage of it, everybody, is we specifically look for people that wanted to sell, but they didn't work with brokers. Maybe they even took it off market. Maybe it fell through. Um, we're targeting what we think are buyers that we can find that couldn't get it done or couldn't get it sold for whatever reasons are. We're, we're going to people that we know they have an asset that we're interested in that may be at the age or something may be going on. We're very targeted right now, right? And so what you need to do is the same thing. Be very targeted, both in your buy box, exactly what you want, and your efforts to achieve that. Because there isn't as much deal volume in transactions, because it's harder to get deals across the line in today's financing situation, you need to be targeted and you need to build in those expectations. And if you are not a big money person, meaning you don't need to deploy hundreds of millions of dollars, in fact, you don't even couldn't even imagine that, this is a great time because you can be very specific. Your one deal could change your entire life. For most people, not just one deal, but even people that are in the game, right? Five deals changes everything, right? So it doesn't take a lot. And two, I am telling you that these are the deals that make us. That deal that we're buying for 75 bucks under replacement cost will be worth $150. We probably won't even need to really do anything to it. And it will be worth 150 bucks probably in the short term. In the long term, much more than that. And two, also people, we're talking about deals. One of the deals that we have a seller financing deal is in a city with a population over 2 million people. 
This isn't like we're going out into small markets that are out in the middle of nowhere. There's 2 million people in this market that we have the seller financing deal with the mom and pop that's 30% under market rates in our fund. So um, when we look at it, we say, okay, we want an opportunistic fund, not value. But if we had 10, 15 of these assets in there, but they all have this tremendous upside, our, our, our weighted returns are huge, right? And we would rather do that than volume. It's one of the nice things about us and our firm. We don't need to do transactions to pay the bills. So we can do these things. And it's, if you're an individual investor, you can too, because most of the time you don't have a big firm. It's not like you have to do transactions. You know, During the fall, a lot of these storage firms started laying people off. Well, we took that time to hire people and bring them on to get ready for this. We pulled out cash, we hired on um, experts, and we bought companies. And then now this year, we opened up our fund and now we can start to execute on it. Uh, so these points in time, everybody, are rare. And most people are being driven by fear. And that has them miss out on a rare time. They hear all the stuff we're talking about, the self-storage bubble and it's popped, rates are coming down, everything. And instead, that makes them actually go away. These are buy signals, not mm -hmm. runaway sell signals, everybody. Now, it's also the signal that you need to work way harder. Why? Because your efforts will actually be rewarded for that. Where two years ago, I mean, if you're talking about getting deals, you could have bought storage facilities all day long. But even if you were working with the seller, which we had, off-market seller, we're doing great and everything, they said, you know what, we're just going to throw it on the market because after looking at what our neighbors sold for, and then we're like, all that work went to waste. Those opportunities don't exist, so we're actually getting to take advantage of that. So yes, you need to work harder. No, it is not easy. But as everybody remembers, I, I talk about um, the scale, right? That when execution is hard, prices go down, values go up. When execution is easy, prices go up and value goes down. So pick your hard. And today, right, as we showed in the numbers, you're way better off buying than you have been in the last two years. And I also should preface this here. We're talking generalities. We are not saying that, okay, yeah, there's a bunch of cities that had no change in valuations, right? They never will though. But if you're in a place that valuations are really secure, you're also in a place that there's not intrinsic upside, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. So we are looking for the mediocre. Our strategy is this. And to be frank, everybody here, I just, I'm laying out our entire investment thesis and strategy, what we did prior to 2008, after 2008, what we're doing today, what we're doing with investors. We buy assets that have amazing intrinsic value and upside in markets that the extrinsic is not aligned, but the extrinsic upside is there. That So when we look at a small town or a small city, one of the things where we first did and sold and got out of it was because we could change that intrinsic value but the extrinsic value is always are very unknown. Today, if you want to sell an asset in a small city out in the middle of nowhere, it's going to be hard. Banks aren't going to finance it, things like that. And you may not have a lot now moving forward of that extrinsic upside. So when we do that, which I'm not saying you shouldn't, we do, you should, it's all intrinsic value. That's all we focus on. 
we don't focus on extrinsic at all, meaning that we don't have a sell date. We don't have this big refinance to get our money. It's cash flow, baby, right? Mm -hmm. It's cash flow because you can't depend on that extrinsic value. So our strategy was with the size we are and everything, we could merge that intrinsic forced value into markets that had great extrinsic upside. And when you put those two things together, it is like a wealth rocket. And so I'm excited because I'm like, we can get these two things again. Mm -hmm. We lost for five years, basically one side of that equation because the extrinsic value was not wind in your sails. Basically, if you bought over the last two years, that extrinsic was an anchor that you're throwing out the side of the ship and it's gonna hit the ocean floor. And when it does, you're gonna feel it. And today, everybody's feeling it, right? So instead, we wanted to have that be wind in our sails. With that, we staffed up, we got ready because we know we did this already. We've been through the cycle, we've done this and it's powerful, everybody. So I'm very excited for everyone listening to the podcast because what we did, you could do. And the benefit we got, you will get. That everybody is very, very exciting to me. It is, man. Really exciting times. All that opportunity coming down the pipeline, the ability to get out there to execute and to, again, be able to focus on on reality, I guess you could say at a point in time now, where again, we, we've just got this dynamic to where you can go in, you can focus on the micro, align that with the the macro, so to yep. speak, you know, the intrinsic, yep. extrinsic, extrinsic values. And, um, and again, really drive that wealth, really drive your investing freedom. Yes. You know, as you continue to grow, uh, it's just going to be going to be really exciting next next couple of years. And um, I'm I'm couldn't be couldn't be more excited just to to continue seeing more deals like this, man. And we're trying to put out all this data. So once again, everybody, if our first newsletter went out last week, all this data plus more is coming dude, into the news newsletter. So great. And you'll be yeah. able to read it, see it all. We're putting it all down. So uh, sign up at the link below. Obviously, YouTube, we're trying to show some stuff um, on here. So you can go to YouTube for all of those listening to the podcast and you can see some of these charts and, uh, some of the information we have, but the newsletter will have a full breakdown in ways. Obviously we can't do on the podcast. I can't walk you through all the data and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, we're trying to make sure that we round out our content with written visual and audio so that we can really express. Cause sometimes I feel like I, I, I can't show the whole picture by certain mm -hmm. mediums. And so I'm like, this way we can back up the conversation and data with the newsletter, the written format, and everything that I was showing to and releasing, and I was paid for huge investment banks that were, you know, talking 100 plus billion, like huge, huge, huge banks. And I can now do that in the form of the newsletter. Literally everything I'd send to them and to you. And you you don't even pay, you get it free, right? And so I'm really excited that we've, we've made this change coming up. Also guys, if you're like, hey, I'm not there yet, but you wanna take advantage of the opportunity, opportunistic fund, it's open. We already have assets in it, so it's going. Um, and now's our official launch. So go to the link below, join us on this awesome ride with these awesome opportunities. And we're gonna be working our tail off both on content and execution over the next year or two to take full advantage of what are um, divergent times. Mm -hmm. 
No, exactly right. We're in a point where people diverge, operators diverge, opportunities, individuals diverge. This is the time that in five years sets that divergent apart. Very yeah, exciting. You're so right. And then just that aspect of being able to buy these new facilities, not a ton of CapEx. You know, maybe there's some facilities we buy that might be distressed, but we've got this amazing dynamic of buying this facility, not a ton of CapEx, like you said, brand yeah, new. Operational. Below replacement. Like, it's, yeah. it, dude, exactly. It's We're just coming in simple, not easy, just operational yeah. improvements to just drastically improve to, like you said, take it from that 70 to that 150 square foot yep. mark. I mean, dude, this is the time. And uh, I couldn't be more excited to be uh, driving the uh, the operations arm right. and pulling the levers here That's right. and, uh, and making it all happen. So uh, with that said, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next Appreciate time. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Now, if you're like me, which you're listening to this podcast, so you probably are, there just doesn't seem to be enough information. That's why we started our self-storage income community with over 300 members so far that are all doing self-storage. We include all of our webinars about underwriting, finding deals, market analysis, and operating. We include due diligence checklists and our underwriting modeler. So if you want more and you're ready to get started or expand your self-storage investing journey, join today our self-storage income community.